This podcast is brought to you by StoreMaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at StoreMaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. Some of the best mobile marketers seven years ago were really data scientists first. I think that's becoming less and less the case. Today, I think the pendulum's kind of swung to the other side where being a broader marketer, that's far more important. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by Stormaven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes. I'm joined today by Adam Hadi, who is uh, joining us from actually the current offices. Uh, Adam, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, yeah, certainly. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Adam. I'm a VP of Marketing here at Current. Uh, we're a fintech uh, in, in, in New York City, banking people who are overlooked by traditional banks. Can you give us a bit of a, a sense of the scope of Current? You know, about how many downloads are we looking at? How many users? Can you share any of that data? Yeah, 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 certainly. Uh, so what we launched, uh, or the company really first started about uh, five years ago, and and we really came into our own uh, uh, a couple of years ago as, as we launched our uh, individual checking accounts. So we launched those in early 2019 uh, and now have uh, over one and a half uh, million customers, million members. Uh, so it's been a really exciting ride. We have, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an, the entire product is an app and a debit card. Um, we're really aimed at banking people who who yeah, have really been overlooked by traditional banks. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, you know, traditional banks in, in the United States and, and really a, a, across the world have been focused on people who are higher income, uh, who carry deposits with higher credit scores, because that's what their entire business model revolves around. So to give you a bit of context there, the ways in which a traditional bank makes money, number one is by loaning out your deposits. That's, that's been a pretty pretty simple one. Number two is you know upselling you into a credit card where, where, where they can make money. And number three is really getting you into the mortgage. That's the big one that they try to get. But the problem with that business model is that most of America doesn't fall into that bucket, right? Most of America doesn't have a high enough credit score to, 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 get, a, to get a premium credit card or to get a mortgage and and you know about half of this country is paycheck to paycheck so by definition uh even even if you make a a, a decent wage uh you don't have any money in in your account to loan out and so that you know if if, if you're here in the united states uh and you've been in position where, where you're paycheck to paycheck or maybe you're being paid hourly for for a lot of people who you know again really Nobody listening to this podcast is probably in this bucket now, uh, but maybe at different points in, in, in their life have been. Um, or if, you know, it's, it's not necessarily people who are low income. It's, it's a lot of people who maybe, uh, maybe freelance, maybe gig economy workers, maybe uh, creatives. Uh, you know, we work with a lot of, uh, a lot of influencers 
whose money is just inconsistent, right? And you know, if you're not a standard nine to five annually salaried person, your experience at the bank is very different uh, than somebody who's it's, right? You're getting charged overdraft fees because you're near a zero balance. You're getting charged maintenance fees because you're not, you know, maintaining a minimum threshold of direct deposits or, 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 or a minimum balance. Rather than getting paid to, to hold your money, uh, you're paying the bank. Uh, and, and the U.S. is interesting in that way, in that it's very expensive to be poor here. Uh, and it's, it's quite cheap and lucrative to be rich. It's a very sad, sad but true, but uh, I've never heard it put so succinctly, and that's pretty depressing. So uh, I'm going to move on from that thought. Um, you know, uh, well, 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 you know, again, on the positive side, uh, entering current, you know, we're far more cost effective than a traditional bank, right? Like we don't have any of the old legacy costs that 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 would come with that, right? Like it, it, it's crazy. If I were to tell you today, hey, you know what? I'm going to start a bank. First thing I'm going to do, I'm going to put 10,000 brick and mortar locations. Uh, like that's like, it's absolute insanity. Uh, but like, that's kind of like the active decisions that traditional banks are still still, still making by maintaining those branches in, in many ways. Uh, so we don't have any of those costs, right? Uh, we're, we're far more efficient, uh, even actually compared to other other fintechs where we, we've built our own banking infrastructure. I, I won't get into the technicals out of that quite yet, but what that means uh, is that our cost efficiencies, we can pass on to our customers and we can bank a customer who others can't profitably. And since we can bank that customer, uh, we can build products that are way more relevant to them. So if, you know, if we're looking at, basically, it sounds like you have a pretty broad reaching audience. I mean, it's something that could be rele- relevant for a very, very significant percentage of the country. You know, what kind of cap? Yeah. yeah, our, our addressable market is is about half of the half the population in the United States, around 130 million people or so. So I guess one of you know I'd love to understand when you're looking at growth, and it sounds like you've been going through growth, especially in this past year at a pretty rapid scale. What are the KPIs that are most interesting for you? For us, we really care about uh, direct depositing customers um, and, and capturing the customers' direct deposit. That's what it really means to switch your bank. Right. Um, you know, if you ask anybody like, hey, again, you ask them, who's your bank? Uh, they'll probably give you one answer. And it's that answer is basically where, where their paycheck goes to. What is that? You know, they, they, now they might have, you know, 10 financial apps on their phone and a bunch of different cards and accounts here and there. Uh, but to be a primary bank, that's our KPI. And that's really getting somebody's direct deposit. And a lot of our core uh, values are, are, are tied to that. I mean, one of one of our big value props is that we get people paid faster. And well, you can only get paid faster uh, with your direct deposit if, of course, you're receiving your direct deposit. And so uh, it's a it's a relatively down funnel event um, that 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 we care about. Uh, but that's that's the one. So I'd love to understand now talking about the marketing side of things. You know, I'd imagine that a lot of the strategies are based on this maybe harder, a little bit harder to reach, harder to measure KPI. Um, and I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit. I know one of the things that you've been doing that's different than a lot of other companies that we've been speaking to is the idea of uh, performance marketing and brand marketing, which generally live separate worlds, separate teams. You know, sometimes we go quite far out. It's not exactly how you guys do it at uh, Current, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've really, you know, you, you kind of see as as brands 
growth, especially in kind of the direct-to-consumer space, there tends to be this, you know, this pattern of, uh, okay, you're, you're really performance-oriented early on, and, and that, that's kind of necessary because brand, when you're, when, you're, when you're tiny, you know, isn't quite as impactful. You're still even trying to find out who, who your customer is, who your demographic is, and, and all that. And, 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 and then as you scale, what will happen is like, oh, okay, uh, now we need to focus on brand marketing as well. And there'll be a brand marketing team and a brand marketing budget, and they kind of operate separately from your performance marketing, which... It doesn't really make sense, that structure, in my opinion. Now, it could depend on the individual product, right? Um, so, you know, I've been in mobile marketing for years and, you know, hey, our, our space of mobile marketing, it used to be really dominated by mobile gaming. You know, you go back, uh, you know, seven, eight years ago and, you know, the most sophisticated mobile companies were mobile games, right? You can go to the app store and look at the top grossing, all that, right? Uh, I always find the distinction uh, that we make in mobile of gaming and non-gaming to be hilarious. Uh, because if you talk to anybody outside of mobile, that's nobody ever describes companies like that and businesses like that, right? But, you know, one of the things about mobile gaming is that uh, brand is not generally as important, right? The way in which like a consumer behaves and responds to mobile game advertising it's typically pretty immediate. It's like the most direct response category there is. I see a game, oh, that looks fun, let me play it. Nobody's ever seen an ad for a mobile game and then decided three weeks later, hey, you know what? I'm gonna download that jumping game. Like, it's just like, it's, that's not how it works, right? And on the, you know, on the polar end, opposite end of that might be like, you know, CPG marketing, right? Where, you know, nobody's ever seen an ad for soap and then like, oh, I got to I got to rush to the grocery store right now and, and, and pick up this dial. So can't wait to be clean. It's just that's so. So again, the world of mobile today, vastly more companies are somewhere on that spectrum, somewhere maybe in, 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 in the middle where we have, you know, behavior that's super direct response. Um, but still, you know, you talk about something like fintech when you're talking about people's banking, people's money, people's lives. Uh, not just not just finance, right? You think about a category. Uh, I think there's actually a lot of comparables to dating in that uh, direct responses and those as are really important with dating, but so much of what determines whether somebody signs up for a dating app happens outside of their interaction with an ad, right? Uh, it's like, oh, I want to join the dating ad that feels cool, that feels like it's for me, that feels appropriate. And that's all really brand. And then... You know, when the time comes, maybe I, you know, break up uh, in my relationship or, you know, a friend convinces me to, to finally join or, or whatever it may be. Something that happens external of that, I then decide, oh, OK, you know, what? I'm going to sign up for Bumble or Hinge or Tinder, whichever one I feel like in that moment is, is right. And, uh, you know, as, 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 as a mobile bank, it's, it's actually pretty similar, right? We might, we might have a customer who's been with Wells Fargo for years. And is getting screwed over by Wells Fargo and has a terrible relationship with Wells Fargo, but at least they trust Wells Fargo. They're around the corner. They know that, you know, if they need their money, they can physically go get it. It's, it's right there. It's right there in person. Uh, so it's kind of like the devil, you know. Um, but then some one day it's like, you know, I've had the final straw. I've got hit with another $35 overdraft fee. And then at that moment, what do you think of? Right. And, and that's where we want to be. We want to be top of mind and, and the consumer side is like, yes, I know current solves for this, 
I've heard about it. Uh, I understand. And, and now I'm going to take that action. And that's, that's the real consumer behavior we see. Um, as much as I would love for it to be super direct response, because uh, that's way easier to measure, the reality is a little bit different. So exactly what I was going to ask, which is, you know, when we come to the measurement side, um, obviously performance marketing, what what you're saying is also quite true in the sense of your your performance marketing is impacted by the success of your brand marketing beforehand. Somebody who sees an ad after having those positive feelings at the right time is going to be that much more likely to click. But how do you measure what brand efforts are more successful and less successful? It's a bit more of a a long game. Do you have a, a structure of how to do that? Yeah, yeah, and that's that's it's it's why it's not so much that uh, oh hey we ran this brand campaign let's measure the success of this brand campaign it's more so integrating uh, the brand into all of our performance marketing and that means uh, it's not performance at all costs right we can ha- we we can have an ad that you know maybe can perform really well based on top of funnel KPIs but if it hurts our brand if it sends the wrong message it's not worth running right. And so that's why, uh, again, it's not a separate brand team with their own agenda and their own campaigns. Uh, no, we're, we're, you know, one marketing team and, you know, we have our fair share of debates and, 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 and arguments uh, and compromises uh, in, internally. But ultimately what we have is that all of our ads encompass the company the way we want it to and the way we want our customers to feel about and build our brand over time. Because too often, and you find a company who way too late kind of comes to this realization. Uh, and, you know, if they've already spent millions and millions and millions of dollars and can't really go back and change their brand, you know, I think of a company like um, maybe a company like Wish is, 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 is maybe easy to pick on here. And Wish has been super successful. So as a business, I'm not picking on them, but as a brand, um, I wouldn't say they, they have a great brand, right? Uh, and they've spent an insane amount of money, um, but haven't really built that at all. Um, outside of maybe being on the Lakers jersey, that was a great buy at that time, whoever made that decision. Spoken from, from a perspective of, of a Knicks fan, my point is that they've already spent all that money on all that performance marketing, um, and they've pigeonholed themselves as a brand uh, that's not really uh, very aspirational. So it sounds like you also look at performance marketing in a way as a subset of your brand marketing, meaning that's another area where you're distributing your brand, where you're building your brand is specifically in the ads that you're running and in the campaigns that you're running. Exactly. Yeah. And and, and we see, I mean, we see uh, with our own consumer behavior, um, I mean, we have the various touch points before you install the app, but, you know, certainly we, it's very easy to measure point, touch points after you install the app. Uh, and the behavior isn't that, hey, you installed the app and immediately the first thing you go do is, is, is take all of your money and, you know, put it into, in, into current. No, there's a level of trust uh, that we build with customers that takes time. Uh, and, and again, finance is so related to other parts of your life. There can be lots of factors that determine when you decide to make that switch. And so there's a curve and we see the curve clearly once, once, once you first installed it and, and signed up. But there's a curve that starts well before then, right? And it starts with the first time you've even heard of current. So, you know, just because you mentioned also the idea that you're you're really looking at nurturing your users when they go further downstream. And I'm sure there's a lot of work that's happening within the app that's continuing that nurturing process and continuing that uh, 
the likelihood for success. You know, it's half the battle to get the user in, and then the next half is to actually get them to do what you want them to do. Um, have you guys been speaking at all about the changes in IDFA and how that's going to suspect uh, affect the marketing funnel from the higher upside? You know, how can we pull in those users and make sure that our our marketing campaigns were successful if we can't keep that parameter going all the way through? It's this monumental impact on on, on mobile marketing that's happening across the board, and it's in some ways I actually think it's going to have a long term positive impact. Um, it's going to it's going to force companies and, and companies operating operating mobile to be less dependent on you know last click attribution. Uh, now now we all we all kind of know that last click last click attribution isn't this perfect measure of what's actually happening in in, in the world and, and how customers behave with our apps. Um, but despite knowing that, it's just really tempting to fall into the trap of like, oh, that actually is the reality. You kind of forget that, uh, oh, well, there's all types of flaws uh, with, with, with this form of measurement. And so what this is going to force uh, a lot of companies to do is, is focus on incrementality. And it really weeds out a lot of bad practices that, that people can fall into today. I mean, we talked about, I mean, you know, let's go with, you know, ad fraud. I don't think ad, mobile ad fraud is, 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 is a big problem for, for, for most ad companies. But like in a world in which you're just focusing on incrementality, it, it can't even exist. Right. <laughs> uh, not in the, not in, I should say not in any of the ways that it's historically. Um, and, and then, you know, again, when you talk about channels that may not contribute to an immediate direct response uh, behavior uh, in a world of last group attribution, you know, it's just very easy to give them no credit. Right. And it's a lot more work to give those, those, those channels credits uh, and kind of in this post IDFA deprecated world, uh, we'll, we'll, you know, our hand will be forced to pay a little bit more attention to that incremental behavior. Yeah, it, it, this is going to affect all, I can't imagine a mobile company that's not going to be affected by these changes. Yeah, I mean, I think also, you know, for for me, when I look at, I've spent a lot of time also analyzing the organic side. And there you've never had IDFA, right? Organics never had that ability to keep somebody, you know, completely tracked and decide what that, you you haven't had it. So it's been kind of the process that's been being established on that side. And I think even for obviously the impact, you know, all of your marketing efforts are having a significant impact of your organics. Those don't fall out of nowhere. So companies even that have a heavier, you know, are mostly reliant on those organics are still going to be affected by this concept of, you know, everybody's entire structure is shifting now. Everybody's, the way they approach marketing is shifting because of this. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think there's a company that won't be affected, but I do, I do think there's an interesting, uh, I think a lot of UA people will be very angry for, with the idea, but I think there's a, there's an opportunity to make things better, to operate at a, just a different sort of scale, different way of, uh, of continuing. Yeah. And if you're, if you're, I mean, certainly there's a, some businesses that are going to be hit particularly hard, right? If like, number one, if you're dependent on ad monetization, that causes a lot of problems. But I, I think it particularly, and again, I'll use the term non-gaming here. I think it'll, it'll force a lot of non-gaming advertisers to actually adopt some, some better practices. And, you know, from a more macro view, uh, I think it's a positive change on the consumer side. And, and I think that's important in our space. We've kind of, you know, gotten away with maybe a little bit more than we, we should have over the last few years. 
been a bit wild, wild west, uh, the mobile world uh, right now. You know, if you think about how much you've been able to track and changes that have been going on in the rest of the world, there's definitely that concept of we've been getting away with a lot. Do you maybe have an example you can share of a specific time that you were tying? You know, you had a really close tie in between something you were doing on the brand end and something that followed through on the performance side. This problem of like a kind of like a, a, a lack of attribution, we see it. We see it with uh, with our influencer marketing. Now, influencer marketing is a really big channel for for us. It's it's, it's space that, that I've worked in it for a really long time, um, and the idea of imperfect attribution there has existed uh, for a really really long time. And influencers as a whole, you know, if if we're, we were that, I, I hate the term, but like if we're talking about like a brand effect. Uh, essentially somebody really getting to understand your business and, and understand your product, but not necessarily taking the action right, right then and there. Um, I think that certainly exists on influencers as a channel, particularly a channel like YouTube, where you may not leave your YouTube video right then and there, but you have just listened to a 60 second pitch uh, on, on a product, maybe similar to uh, watching, you know, almost like watching an infomercial. That That's a space where, yeah, this kind of all blends uh, a little bit together. We take a signal that we get from from what is attributed uh, and, and what is easily measured. Uh, and then we look at overall effect on, on, on organic during that time. And there's a drag effect. Uh, again, YouTube certainly, as, as, as you know, those videos are evergreen and, and live on forever. But, you know, when we run uh, and we run, you know, local campaigns, uh, and looked at, okay, well, you know, we started the campaign here, we ended the campaign here on, on a local level. In, in the period after we run this campaign, do we see an elevated lift in performance among our other channels? And um, the answer has been yes. Right? And, and, and that's, again, uh, and that makes sense for a company like ours and a business like ours, um, but I don't think it would make sense for maybe an e-commerce brand or, or a mobile gaming brand that's far more um, dependent on, on, on direct response. I think influencer marketing is one of those things where depending on who you ask, it's either been one of the powerful tools that somebody has been able to access or the biggest waste of money that we've done in the last, uh, who knows what, <laughs> um, you know, you hear, you hear both sides a lot, maybe a little bit more on the second one, you know, how do you approach influencer marketing? Do you have a, you know, a, a process by how you, can understand this will be a valuable source for me. This is something I want to run with versus, you know, this is not something that's going to take, take users to where I need them to go. The interpretation of it in all those different forms, I don't think any are disingenuous. One influencer marketing has become a very vague term that can explain every, that, that can describe everything from, um, again, a direct response ad Maybe, uh, you know, whether it be uh, on YouTube or Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat of, of an influencer telling their audience, hey, go do this. Uh, it can also describe uh, creative. Uh, it can also describe brand and PR, uh, where the goal is not, uh, not direct response. Um, it can also describe affiliate marketing. You know, these are kind of all different areas that have kind of co-opted the term influencer marketing to come and uh, come and describe it. So that, that's one reason why you see lots of different uh, uh, opinions on it. The other is it kind of depends on your vertical and, and where your audience is. You know, if you have, let's say, uh, a teen a teen audience, right? Teen boys and girls or, or, or Gen Z or, or even a young millennial, like your audience is certainly uh, interacting with influencers, right? 
at least here in the United States, um, that's where they are. And especially if you, the, you know, what the space in which you're working in is like compelling or interesting or entertaining, uh, it really lends itself well to influencer marketing. Maybe if you are a, you know, B2B uh, with an audience that's mostly, you know, 40 plus, well, then maybe influencer marketing really isn't for you. If you're, you know, home improvement, let's say, there might be a few small channels that, 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 that you know, might make sense. But on the whole, like, you know, no, your audience is probably watching HGTV and are that age. Uh, so that's where you find your audience, right? And so it totally makes sense to me that you have this wide spectrum of, 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 of results. You know, I think your point also about do you need a direct response versus are you building towards the long game? Are you trying to make sure that you're staying top of mind for the situations where there's a trigger, where there's something that you actually need to come up to versus, you know, in gaming, for example, you need somebody, like you said, somebody's, you know, I'm measuring my success not by somebody having positive feelings about Clash of Clans, but by somebody actually going in and playing Clash of Clans right now. Um, So I think that might also be, you know, one of the big differentiators is are you using it as a way of kind of distilling your brand among the audience that you're looking for and giving it that time to, you know, you mentioned the drift effect as well, are you giving it that time to kind of stimulate user behavior at a certain point if it's not that moment, you know, so I think that that also could be one of the reasons we're used to uh, the performance marketing side, we're all used to in instant feedback, you know, this campaign is working now, I can increase my budgets. And, and again, don't get me wrong, because you could certainly, I mean, and, and really the primary way in which we uh, work with influencers is, is is just that. It is through this, you know, kind of strict lens of, of performance marketing um, in which we measure it like we measure any other performance channel. You know, that's just our, our, our approach. But I think every every business maybe take, takes it a little bit differently. Do you have uh, any examples of campaigns that you've tried that have been uh, miserable failures that you'd never do again? For us, you know, where a lot of it's about knowing your audience and, and knowing where they are. And, you know, when we first launched our, our individual product, um, that was part of a learning process for us as well. And I always knew, I'll say this about, about YouTube, I always knew that it skewed pretty young and that the demographic information that we were getting from YouTube wasn't always accurate. Um, but I never knew exactly how true that was uh, until working here at Current Again, at, at a bank where we verify people's identity and their ages uh, and their addresses, et cetera. And this actually happens across the board, uh, across networks and everything where, you know, I used to feel far more confident in when, when, when I would target, uh, let's say, an 18 plus audience on Facebook, that they would indeed be 18 plus. Uh, or, you know, if they say they're, they're 24 years old, that they're 24 years old. Uh, what you, what you, what you <laughs> we actually find is a, uh, Again, now that we're actually, you know, verifying this stuff, that that's not always the case. And so, on YouTube in particular, the platform skews far younger than than than, than the demographics tell you. And again, when I say far younger, I mean far far younger. It might tell you that it's eighty percent over eighteen and it's eighty percent under eighteen. Uh, like where where like there's there's all there's all types of like nuances within those numbers, uh, but they basically mean nothing. Yeah, I, I mean, I can tell you my year and a half year old can manage to get on YouTube from pretty much any device you find. So I definitely <laughs> believe that. <laughs> and that your year and a half year old is using your device 
which certainly identifies her as an adult, right? So uh, that explains some of those changes right there. Yeah, I guess that makes a lot of sense what, you know, what young kids are using. So when your YouTube algorithm is all sorts of messed up, you know, it's, it's... Uh, Thanks to the kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you can imagine how maybe looking at the demographic data that's provided to you is not really the best uh, indicator. Wow. Yeah. I never thought of that, but that's completely true. That makes uh, a huge amount of sense. There's a little bit of, uh, you know, in, my, uh, in deciding what, what uh, uh, a channel's demographics are, it's a little bit more, uh, more art than science. All right. I've got one last question for you before we move into the uh, quick fire round which is if you could, let's go back in time a couple years, few years, you're about to start your role at Current again. Is there anything that you do differently? Hmm, that's a good question. This is a little bit ambitious, but I would probably demand bigger budgets faster. Uh, <laughs> now we, 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 we steadily grown our budgets and everything as, as, as we develop more confidence. Again, when I joined, it's really just as we launched uh, this new product and so our confidence in it in the early days was not nearly as as strong as it is today it's a happy way of looking back knowing for sure that you had a, a had a winner on your hands um that you could have just started pushing earlier we're going to move into uh quick fire so i ask all our guests these questions and uh you can just go with the first thing that comes to mind first of all if you could give one tip to an aspiring mobile growth marketer what would that be i would say to really try to get a wide range of experience if this was five years ago, if this was you know seven years ago, uh, that tip of mine might be to like really like learn Python, really learn SQL, really get into the data. Uh, you know, some of the best mobile marketers seven years ago were really data scientists first. I think that's becoming less and less the case uh, today. I think the pendulum's kind of swung to the other side, where being you know a, a broader marketer, understanding people's uh, behavior, understanding messaging, understanding creative, that's far more important, I think. Um, now, now again, the data tools, still, still, still important, of course, and being able to interpret that, but so much of that work is being done, you know, by virtue of machine learning algorithms at the biggest companies in the world. So we don't need to do them, essentially. What's your favorite uh, growth resource? Mobile Dev Memo. It's uh, by Eric Sufer. I love Eric. Eric, whether he knows it or not, is uh, indirectly responsible for my entire career, actually going back from, from, from the very beginning. So he's been running that for about a decade now, and it's a great resource for anybody. Who's the person in the mobile growth world that you'd most want to take for lunch, assuming uh, social distancing was over, and uh, why? This is a little bit of a cheat answer, um, but I'd probably go with Mark Zuckerberg. He counts. <laughs> He definitely counts. He, uh, I mean, Facebook ads, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it'd be pretty, pretty fascinating to, to get an idea of what really he has as his vision for, for the future. I think he's probably the most powerful person in our space. It's the first time I've gotten that answer, but it's, uh, it's um, now I'm surprised that it's the first time after you've given it. Yeah. Um, and lastly, and most importantly, what is your favorite flavor of pancake? I'm a chocolate chocolate chip and peanut butter. If you haven't had chocolate chip and peanut butter pancakes, you're missing out, but that is a flavor, so it counts. It 100% counts, and uh, if I go way back in time to my New York days, there was this restaurant, Peanut Butter & Co., in the uh, village, and they had an insane, insane uh, peanut butter chocolate 
pancake explosion. Well, we're only the greatest city in the world. So what can you expect? Super true. Adam, thank you so, so much for, for the time and everything. Is there anywhere that people can find you if they want to learn more? The first place would be current.com slash careers. Uh, <laughs> selfishly, that, that I'd like to plug that. You can certainly find me on, on, on Twitter or LinkedIn. Better off following current. It's more entertaining than myself. All right, Adam, thank you so, so much. And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. To find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve app store performance, visit StoreMaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at StoreMaven, thanks for listening.